broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. On this episode of Closing the Gap, we have friend of the show, Tori Thorpe, conducting the interview. Tori will be talking to Marley Parker, a freelance writer and photographer who makes her living documenting scientific expeditions at sea. All right, let's get on with the show. All right, so hi, Marley. Um, welcome to Closing the Gap. Uh, could you explain your career for us and what it is, what, you know, your, your typical, I guess, like day or project looks like? Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I just wanted to say thank you all so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I think this is an awesome podcast and I'm really happy to be a part of it. Um, my name is Marley and I am a full-time freelance science communicator. And that involves uh, quite a few different types of roles. I'm a professional photographer, videographer, and science writer. So I do a little bit of everything. And the types of projects that I typically specialize in involve documenting marine science and oceanography research. So I spend a lot of time going to sea and working on research vessels with different teams of scientists. And you, you run your own business, right, as well, because you're freelance? I do, yeah. So I have, uh, I've been a full-time freelancer for four years, so I have my own LLC, and that's how I get contracted to work for different organizations. Um, okay, could you just describe your background, your training, you know, your educational experience uh, that went into your job in your field that you're in now? Yeah, for sure. Sure. So I have a degree, just a bachelor's degree in journalism and specifically photojournalism and multimedia production was what I was kind of my concentration in college. Uh, I also minored in Spanish, uh, which has come in handy a lot for the international work that I do. And that's really the only formal higher education I have. But since college and since getting more into science communication and working in remote places, I have um, done some additional trainings like, you know, getting certified to scuba dive, uh, getting a license to fly drones, uh, doing a wilderness first responders certification. So I've done quite a few trainings here and there since, you know, I graduated from college that have really helped to beef up my skills for the type of work I do now. Right. And did you uh, do you feel like your like college education prepared you for like the scientific kind of research you're doing now? Or did you kind of have to navigate that on your own? That is such a good question. I, I had no idea that I was going to go into science communication when I was a college student. I knew that I wanted to do some sort of journalism, storytelling. Um, but yeah, I only took one science class in college and I really often wish that I could go back and take more science classes or take a science writing class. I really had to learn a lot of that on the job um, several years after I graduated. So I did get really great 
training for media production and professional photography skills and video skills and all of that, but I did not get any sort of specific science communication training in college. That's all been kind of self-taught on the job. Mm -hmm. And has that been like difficult or like hard to navigate or do you feel like it comes kind of like naturally? Um, I, I mean, I've just kind of had to jump in, uh, and it's certainly been challenging at times, but I think I've been doing it for long enough now that it, uh, it definitely comes more naturally now. Um, I think part of the, the biggest thing with my journalism training was learning how to ask really good questions. And so when I did have to just jump into doing uh, science writing in particular, I, I just learned really quickly how to ask good questions and really break down and translate scientific jargon into something that was more of a, a narrative and more of a story. Right. That makes sense. Um, so kind of piggybacking off of that, like uh, in terms of challenges and like transitions and stuff, uh, what was it like transitioning from being an employee to a completely self-employed person and freelancing? Was there like unexpected challenges or benefits that you like didn't know about before you decided to start your own company? Yeah, so I I was really nervous and frankly pretty scared when I was getting ready to leave my full time position because I had been um, basically I'd been working in science communications for a university for five years, so I had this really stable job that allowed me to travel and allowed me to do really cool work, and I had to leave all of that to pursue an opportunity that I couldn't do if I stayed at my full-time job. And that was uh, going to Antarctica. That's, that's why I quit my full-time job and became a freelancer was because I got invited to go on this research expedition in Antarctica. So I was really excited about that. That's like an incredible once in a lifetime opportunity, but um, the idea of running my own business and being my own boss and all the kind of complicated parts of being self-employed for the first time that was very daunting and very scary and something that I just had to grit my teeth and do. (laughs) Yeah I read a little bit of your blog um, and I read the one that's called doing it I think and it was like super inspiring like I related to a lot of it Um, and yeah it seemed it seemed like really nerve-wracking but the right decision because you know you kind of had to take that risk to be able to do what you're doing now, which is like really amazing work. Yeah. And it's so much easier now that I'm four years into it. I can look back and very clearly see that I made the right decision and that it's worked out really well. I mean, there've definitely been ups and downs over the past few years and a lot of mistakes and lessons and, you know, good experiences and bad experiences. But I do often wish that I could go back in time and tell myself four years ago, like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, like stop worrying so much. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of women that are going to STEM kind of experience, like that nervousness of doing something completely unknown and like different to, uh, you know, what they're basically, what's basically nailed into their brains growing up. Yeah, I'm all about going down the uh, the untraditional path now. It's uh, it's hard to do, but it's very very rewarding for sure. Yeah, um, what is it like working at the intersection of like journalism and photography and then science? Um, is it like 
is there a clear divide between like the liberal arts side of you and the STEM field side of you, or does it feel like it kind of combines? Uh, it feels pretty integrated at this point because I have been focused on doing, you know, scientific storytelling for the better part of a decade now between my old job and my freelance career. That's all been focused around telling stories about science. Um, but uh, sorry, can you repeat the first part of the question again? Oh, yeah, just the intersection between um, like journalism, photography and design and just how those two kind of like mesh together. Yeah, I mean, what I often tell people when I'm trying to briefly describe the work that I do is, um, I think I mentioned earlier, taking some of the scientific jargon and really research heavy language and then translating that into a compelling narrative that people can relate to and connect with even if they don't have a PhD. So, you know, using the skills of storytelling, whether it's really beautiful photographs or, you know, just a well-written blog post or a cool video, all of those things just really help to show science in a different way than people would find, you know, trying to read a, a paper in a research publication or something. So, um, yeah, I feel really fortunate to have, you know, both journalistic skills and enough scientific understanding to make that happen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there, so you mentioned uh, imposter, you've mentioned imposter syndrome, syndrome like in your blogs and stuff and how you struggle with that. Um, have you noticed that it's different like when you were employed and, and doing journalism or when you were studying just journalism and not science um, and now when you are, you know, going out on these expeditions and, and um, like exploring with scientists, do you feel like it's a different type of imposter syndrome or a different type of like prejudice or discrimination you face? Or do you think that it is, is pretty consistent throughout? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm very open and honest and communicative about the imposter syndrome stuff and just, you know, general insecurities, because I think that's something that so many people deal with and especially young women deal with. And I, you know, I just want people to know that they're not the only ones experiencing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I was in my journalism program, well over a decade ago, it was highly competitive. Uh, and there were, all of my professors were old white men and all of the best students in the program were white men. And it was, you know, just very kind of old school traditional in that setting. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, as we all know, in many of the sciences and also in science communication, there are a lot of you know, old white men and people that are not necessarily young women or minorities. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's really challenging at times to, to deal with that and to deal with some of the attitudes of people who think that you're too young or too inexperienced or don't know what you're doing um, and just trying to continue to believe in yourself and do good work even when people are being, you know, kind of negative in that way. It's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. 
Right. Have you had any specific instances where you've had to like confront someone or, or someone has like kind of directly targeted you or, um, yeah. Yep. I, uh, I was working on a research vessel in the Galapagos islands one time and there were some men on board. I can't even remember what their positions were. I think they were from the national park down there. And they were huddled together speaking in Spanish about how and why they didn't think that I should be on board with my camera. They didn't want me taking pictures. If I was gonna take pictures, they needed to you know, approve all of them before the pictures went anywhere. They basically were just talking about how they didn't want me there and they didn't trust me. And I piped up and I was like, I speak Spanish, you know, like I understand what you're saying. If you have an issue or if you don't understand why I'm here or what I'm doing, you need to talk to me, you know? And um, I was very direct with them. And I mean, I tried not to be too angry or aggressive, but I, I really had to go insert myself into the conversation they were having and be like, look, I understand what you're saying and we need to communicate about this, not just listen to y'all talking about me. So that's just one instance there. There have been several others, but <laughs> too many for one podcast. Yeah, that, that is rough. I, I have experienced things like that as well. Like, I mean, it could also just because be because I'm a student journalist, but people kind of do the same thing to me. They're like, oh, you're just like do, here doing your assignment. Like, why are you here at this like school board meeting or whatever, um, writing down the things we're saying? So, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, do you like how do you deal with that like internally like externally it's it's pretty easy to be like you know you need to talk to me about this um but when it affects like you know how you think about yourself or your self-esteem or or uh how you think about your work how do you like what do you tell yourself to kind of get over that hill yeah i mean there have been plenty of other instances where i've been you know, working as part of a team on a ship and I made a mistake or did something wrong or, you know, there's always instances where it's, uh, you know, it's my fault and I internalize that. And I, I do two things. The first is I remind myself that we're all just human and we're all just trying to figure stuff out as we go and we all make mistakes and I'm not incompetent or bad at my job because I mess up once or twice. Like that happens to everybody, no matter how experienced you are or how long you've been doing something. And the other big thing that I just try to mentally uh, do is to zoom out. So let's say I'm working as part of a team and I mess up or something goes wrong or whatever. There's, you know, some big emergency with what we're doing. And I, or, you know, it seems like an emergency. <laughs> in reality, it seems like a really big deal in the moment. And if I can just zoom out and tell myself, okay, this seems like a really big deal right now. This person's upset or something went wrong or it's not working the way we want it to. But is this still gonna be a big deal a few days from now? Is it still gonna be a big deal in two weeks or a month? And like so often, especially with project stuff, work stuff, it's just not that big of a deal. You know, sure, it seems like a big deal in that moment because we're in a high stress, intense environment. But if you zoom out and just allow yourself to think, man, you know, in two weeks, I'm not even gonna remember this happened. And being able to try to 
uh, have that perspective in the moment of when something isn't going well, I think that's really helpful to just, you know, cool down a little bit from the intensity of the moment. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, I was going to ask, uh, did it take you like a long time to figure that out? Was it like a process of, of practicing like that self-talk and, and zooming out or did it always come like second nature to you? That's a good question. Um, I think I've, I think I've always been, or at least since high school, I've been somewhat tough <laughs> or at least tried to be uh, kind of mentally tough. I, um, yeah, I, I was an athlete in high school and I was, you know, the captain of my, uh, cross country team and track team. And, um, I think those sorts of things, I mean, it seems silly. It was just high school or whatever, but at the time, I think those experiences were really good for building up some like mental fortitude of, you know, when you're, running a race and you're in pain and you have to push through. Um, I think some of those early, like I started running when I was 14 years old. And I think that kind of helped to develop some mental toughness from a pretty young age. Um, and then, yeah, going through a, a competitive program at a really highly ranked journalism school, it was, it was really intense at times and I didn't really like how competitive it was, but it also forced me to work really hard and be tough and stand up for myself. And then, yeah, I mean, working in male dominated environments and working in pretty uh, intense high stress environments, especially when we're out at sea, um, you just, you know, you have to be mentally tough and you also have to be cool and calm and not freak out or be really dramatic. And um, that's those traits, you know, just trying to stay calm and cool and not get really flustered or upset. Those are traits that I get from my dad and he's a pilot. So he's always been like Mr. Cool, really calm, really, you know, even in an emergency situation, like responding very methodically and all of that. So uh, I think that's a little bit about where my mindset and mentality comes from. Yeah, and I'm sure that helped like prepare you for starting your own business and just branching off on your own and kind of helped you push to decide to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, it's I like I said, I was nervous and scared when I quit my job and was starting my own business, but I in the back of my mind, I was just like, I just have to try to do this. And worst case scenario, if I do fail, if it doesn't work, if I can't make enough money, or I'm just not happy with being self-employed, then I can always go and get another job, you know? So again, kind of zooming out and having that perspective of what am I going to do if this doesn't work? There's always, you know, something else you can do. There's just always a way to like zoom out and see different possibilities or different perspectives. Right. Um, could you talk a little bit about like the technical aspects of, of transitioning from an employee to, you know, your own employer um, and like how that kind of worked logistically? Yeah, there's uh, quite a lot that went into it. I, um, you know, on the technical side of things, I had to go from having uh, all my camera equipment provided to me by my job 
to suddenly dropping thousands and thousands of dollars on all my own gear and getting insurance for that gear, getting my website and all of that set up, getting my LLC filed, uh, getting an accountant, <laughs> getting a, a, just a bunch of logistical um, you know, paperwork, legal stuff, financial stuff in order which is such a pain for a person like me. I'm, I'm very much a creative person, you know, being a, a writer and a photographer and a storyteller, doing paperwork and legal documents and financial planning and that sort of stuff is really not my cup of tea. <laughs> but it's, again, it's just the stuff you have to do um, in order to be able to uh, build your own business and, and get started. And I think the biggest thing for all of that process was being able to ask for help and having uh, just finding people. If I didn't already have people in my life, finding people who could help me navigate all of that unknown territory and uh, just, you know, I, I did so much of it on my own, but I also had a lot of people help point me in the right direction or connect me with somebody who was more knowledgeable about that sort of stuff. So I guess my biggest advice for somebody doing that would be, you know, don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for help. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think a lot of people equate like uh, mental fortitude with doing everything on your own and being independent, like completely all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it actually shows a lot of mental strength to ask for help and like go to people that can actively, you know, improve upon what you're building. Yeah, definitely. Um, are, what are some of the moments in your career that you felt like the most pride or like the most sense of accomplishment so far? Yeah, um, there have been a lot of awesome moments. Uh, obviously going to Antarctica was an incredible experience. I got to spend my 30th birthday down there. Um, and that being the very first expedition of my full-time freelance career felt like a big turning point. Um, and then, uh, you know, getting my scuba diving certification, I'll never forget the first time I was able to breathe on, underwater. And then, you know, very shortly thereafter taking, being able to take photos and film underwater was a big turning point in my career. Uh, and the same with, you know, all the technical skills that I've gained, uh, being able to go from getting my drone pilot's license to suddenly flying a drone in the middle of the ocean uh, was something I never thought I would do. Um, that's another one of those moments where, you know, if you had told me when I was in journalism school that 10 years from now, you're going to be flying drones off of a ship in the middle of the ocean, and like that's going to be your job. I never would have believed that I did. I hardly even knew what a drone was when I was a student back in like 2008, 2009. So there's, um, there's just so many moments like that, that are kind of surreal. Like if you had told me years ago, this is the type of work I would end up doing. I, I just never could have imagined it. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely one of the important things about like getting job opportunity knowledge out there. Like there's so many jobs that people just don't know about in STEM fields and, and a lot of women, you know, pursue what they think they should instead of like, um, you know, branching out because there's just so much stigma around STEM fields and exploring that kind of thing and just kind of going into the unknown. 
Yeah, definitely. There's uh, there's so many more options and opportunities out there for for different types of jobs that we just don't even know exist. And it's, I hope that we can change that because <laughs> I, you know, there's just so many so many cool things out there. Yeah. So when you like transitioned from um, doing uh, wh who were you writing for before? I don't know if I, I don't know if you want to answer that, but like, what kind of stuff were you writing before you were invited to Antarctica? Uh, so my uh, full-time job was a, I was technically, my job title was a communications specialist for the Office of Research Communications at UNC Chapel Hill. And Chapel Hill is also where I went to undergrad, um, and it just happened to be where I got my first job after college, which was an internship kind of thing. And then uh, about a year and a half after that, I got this full-time position working in research communications. And so that was actually a pretty cool job because it allowed me to interview researchers from different parts of the university, uh, different departments. And I would, you know, I would interview cancer researchers about different treatments that they were developing or public health researchers or people in the geology department or the marine science department, like all different types of science. So that's really how I honed my skills with science writing and figuring out how to take scientific information and turn it into a story, uh, not just with writing, but also with video and photo essays and that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So what were the circumstances that led to you being invited to go on uh, expedition or like go and explore with researchers and actually come along with them? Yeah, so one of the most defining moments of my career happened while I was still at working for UNC before I, uh, years before I started my freelance business. I was invited to join a research expedition in Southern Chile. And it was a group of geophysicists and geologists that were working on a volcano. Um, one of the most active volcanoes in South America. And they were doing this expedition to install seismometers and collect a bunch of seismic data on uh, this big volcano. And the one of the chief scientists really wanted to document the expedition and take along somebody who could take photos and film video and also speak Spanish because they were in Chile. Um, and the, yeah, this chief scientist was at UNC. So he came to our office and asked if there was anybody who could do that. And I obviously raised my hand and was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that. And it was, uh, yeah, 10 days in Chile documenting this incredible work on a volcano, working in a landscape, like unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And that was really one of those moments where I thought, this is the type of work I wanna be doing. Uh, you know, it's cool interviewing scientists in a lab or whatever, but this is completely different. And this is, you know, this incredible adventure stuff is what I really want to be doing. Yeah, that is a, a very defining moment that you were invited on that and, and kind of spoke up and, and got to do that. Um, are there any future projects or endeavors that you have your sights set on? Do you have any goals for the future moving forward? Yes, my biggest, most ambitious goal right now is writing a book. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've sat down and started writing 
I just, you know, I have so many stories from so many places now. And I always thought that I would actually write a book later in life as an older woman reflecting on all these cool things I've done. But I'm realizing now if I don't, if I don't write it all down now, I'm not going to remember any of it, you know, decades from now or not remember the details I want to remember. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to write a book and I really want to do that in, you know, the very near future, like get that out there in the next year or two and uh, share my story and share what I've learned and, and hopefully not just write one book, but write several books over the course of my life. Um, writing was my first love when it came to storytelling. I was, I started writing stories like little adventure stories actually when I was seven or eight years old. So <laughs> writing a book is, is the big, big goal for right now. And you're a public speaker as well, right? What has that experience been like for you? Yeah, that's just another great example of not being able to predict the future and not knowing you know, what you're a professional in right now might be different from what you're, or, you know, may not include what you professionally do years from now. Um, I never knew that when I started my freelance career that it would include regular public speaking, um, but it definitely has. I, I just had the opportunity to speak at my first conference, and that was a science talk in Portland, Oregon. And it was awesome. It was a super empowering, affirming experience. It's, uh, you know, it can feel very vulnerable to get up in front of people and share your story and say, these are the experiences I've had and this is what I've learned from it. And I was nervous doing that in front of a room full of professional colleagues for the first time, because most of the other public speaking I've done has been with college students where I just, you know, I go to classrooms and I talk to them about what I do and here's one example of a really cool career you can have, you know, just keep your mind open to different possibilities when you're thinking about jobs and careers. That's the message I kind of give them. But at this conference, I was speaking to, you know, a room of colleagues and industry professionals, and that was a little more nerve wracking. Um, but afterwards, so many people came up to me and, and still are sending me messages and emails about uh, how much my story resonated with them. And, and that just feels really, really good and really empowering. So yeah, I, I love <laughs> being able to be brave enough to get up in front of a room full of people and, and talk about myself. It's, uh, it still makes me nervous, but it is also really rewarding. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like you've, um, you know, kind of branched out and, and done things that scare you that have have had like huge payouts for you, um, which is fantastic and, and very inspiring. Um, what advice do you have for young women that are looking to, you spoke to this a little bit, but um, like young women that are looking to follow a similar career path or, or like your younger self before you kind of branched out? Yeah, this is such a great question and, and a topic that I really, really care about. Um, I think the biggest message that young women need to hear over and over again is believe in yourself and just, you know, persist and believe in yourself as much as possible. And, uh, you know, there will always be imposter syndrome. There will always be doubts. There will always be insecurities. 
even when you've been doing something for years, um, even after you get your degree, even after you get hired, you know, there's always going to be these times where you question and think you're not good enough and you just have to believe in yourself and keep going. Um, and yeah, like I said earlier, if I could go back and tell my younger self some advice, it would be to, you know, you are to basically say you are more brave and bold and capable than you realize and that you, and then you give yourself credit for. <laughs> um, so that's a message I still need to tell myself and remind myself of some days and definitely a message that I think a lot of young women need to hear. And that's also a big part of what I try to convey in the talks that I give, in the blog posts that I write, in the book that I'm going to write, you know, that that is definitely one of the fundamental messages I want to convey with as many people as possible. Right. Um, and I mean, I think that's fantastic advice. I agree that a lot of women need to hear that. I need to hear that. <laughs> um, do you, what do you, do you have like any ideas or, or things that you think can be done to kind of spread the word to women about the career options in STEM fields or like about branching out to maybe something that scares them or a different sort of career that they don't know about? Yeah, I mean, that's another great question and something I've, I've thought about a lot. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I go to college classrooms a couple times a year to talk to students specifically about that. You know, like, here's my experience. Here's my story of, uh, you know, the type of work I do now is something I literally didn't know existed when I was a college student. Um, so just, you know, trying to share my story is one small way to reach a couple people. Um, but it's, yeah, it's all about how do we expand that and reach lots and lots and lots of young people with um, just the, the idea that there are so many more opportunities out there than they realize. Um, I, I mean, I, I wish I had like a, a perfect answer for how, how do we fix this problem? I, I really don't. I think there are lots of great initiatives. I think um, podcasts like this one are a great start. I think, um, I really think there should just be a class or a series of classes, like even just a seminar or something required for late high school students or early college students about, you know, careers that you don't know about. And here are opportunities and careers you've never heard of, but are actually really amazing. Um, and just getting students out of this idea that if you don't become a doctor or a lawyer, you're not going to be successful in life, you know, or, or fulfilled or, or any of that. So yeah, there's, there's so many different things we, we need to do to reach young people in this way. Um, but I, I don't know all of them off the top of my head. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of things that should probably have been done a long time ago. I really like the class idea. Um, I definitely, like earlier in high school, I am very interested in both journalism and art fields. Um, and I thought I had to choose one, you know, I thought it was like, okay, well, you know, I should probably choose journalism and just have art be my hobby. But there's like a bunch of unique careers that like no one had ever told me about that I just researched on my own that combined the two um, into like something that I feel like I would be strong at. And I feel like there's a lot of people that are in that situation where they feel like they have to choose something that they're either mildly interested in or, or they have 
um, you know, other passions that outweigh it. But uh, yeah, you don't really have to choose. I feel like there's enough options that you can pretty much combine like any skills or, or hobbies or wants that you want to. Yeah. And I, you know, I think another big part of the problem for young people, especially here in the United States, is that you're expected to go directly from high school to college. And then as soon as you get to college, you're expected to pick a major and decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life when you're 18 years old. I think that's ridiculous. I think, I mean, I, I knew from a young age that I wanted to pursue journalism and, you know, be a professional storyteller, but obviously, and that, and I am that, and I'm very fortunate that I had that vision from a young age, but even that has evolved and changed so much over the past decade. And to expect all young people to have that sort of direct focus and vision of exactly what they're going to do or what they're best at or what their skills and passion and, you know, the intersection of all those things. I, I just think there are so many young people who need a little more time to figure that out before they should be forced to pick a major and pick a direction to stick with and pay a lot of money to get a degree in, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely have seen a lot of people considering gap years. There's so many people in my high school right now that are afraid to take a gap year or their parents tell them that they can't take a gap year. And it's like, uh, so your parents want to send you to college for a lot of money <laughs> um, instead of just letting you take a gap year and figure out what you want to do or what direction you want to go in. Um, it's definitely really frustrating to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to see that expectation in society change because I, I don't think that's serving a lot of young people. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, for the last question I have for you, uh, it's just a fun one. What do you like to do in your spare time for fun? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I um, obviously spend a lot of time working on or near the ocean, and I absolutely love the ocean, and I love working with marine scientists, but I also really love the mountains. So especially after I've been at sea for a month or two, I often go straight to the mountains to go hiking, camping, uh, just be out in the wilderness. And that always really feels like a wonderful uh, reset and just kind of, uh, I call it like a, a soul revival. It's just a, a very refreshing and uh, empowering experience too to be out in the woods sometimes I, I go hike a really steep trail before the sun rises and I take my camera and get up to the top of this mountain right as the sun's coming up and take pictures and that's something that I've done for years and it's almost become like a, a bit of a ritual for me and it's just a really good way to check in with myself remind myself that I'm strong and capable and uh, and that I really love being out in the natural world <laughs> and it's really amazing and I feel really grateful every day that I get to do that both for work and for fun. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I just you. personally I want to say that like you're super inspiring to me as somebody who wants to pursue journalism and sometimes gets really bad tunnel vision. Um, I really like how you're very open to a lot of options and, and you were kind of open to exploring different things that aren't traditional. Um, it was really cool reading your blog and like looking at your website and stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to read my blog. I, um, 
I don't know if you saw, I wrote a post uh, recently that was basically a, a letter to my younger self. Um, and I wrote it before I gave a talk at my alma mater, my journalism school, speaking to a bunch of journalism school students who are about to graduate. And I basically wrote that for them with like, you know, thinking of young people specifically and where I was 12 years ago. Um, so that's another one you might enjoy. And also if you wanna like connect one-on-one -on -one to talk about your career stuff at any point or like different ideas you have, like please reach out. Cause I, I really do love talking to young women and mentoring and trying to like help people navigate some of this stuff. Um, Cause it's just really nice to not feel alone. <laughs> Yeah, I messaged you on Instagram. I wasn't expecting you to see it quite yet, but I did DM you because I was like, I just want to say that I like just really like your work and you're super inspiring. Awesome, um, thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and talking about yourself a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at MidValleySTEM.org. Until next time, keep progressing.